I'm aware that time is relatively short this morning. I'm somewhat watching the clock. Um, and uh, therefore, what I hope I'll give you is just a taste, just a, a, a sniff, if you like, of what this incredible, I think one of the most remarkable chapters in the whole of Scripture um, is all about. And therefore, I hope you'll forgive me. It really is going to be a sort of flying over, bird's eye view of some of the most um, heartfelt, some of the strongest, some of the, uh, the most arresting poetry in the whole of the Bible. And that I hope it will provoke you to go back and read it for yourself, because there's no way I can even begin uh, to do this justice. We're in the middle of a series where we're using the theme of covenant, the idea of that public commitment of love and promise that God makes to the likes of you and me. And that God's covenant promises from the beginning of scripture to the end with us in the middle of it somewhere are to do with him making a public commitment of love and commitment and forgiveness towards us and simply calling us in return to love him back. Uh, Some of us were doing the Why Jesus course during the week and we were thinking about the fact that, that the heart of the Christian faith is this turning on its head of religion. That the Christian faith alone amongst all world religions and worldviews puts on its head the normal order. The normal order is, in religion, can I be good enough for God? How can I pray enough, go to church enough, be a nice enough person, be a good enough Christian for God to approve of me, to love me? And in the way some people put it, to, to, to let me into heaven. The Bible instead flips it completely on its head. It says instead of how much do you love God, it says do you realise how much God loves you? Do you realise that in Jesus God has already loved you with a love stronger than death? That he offers you forgiveness and a fresh start? And that actually your love for God is meant to be response to his love for you, not the other way around. And so what we've been doing is tracing that prior love of God in covenant all the way through from the very beginning of the Bible, literally the first couple of pages, and we'll try and take it if we can land the plane in time for Christmas, um, all the way to the end. And right now we're in the book of Ezekiel, which deserves 20 minutes all of its own just to introduce it. But let me give you the one minute version, which is that Ezekiel is a prophet. He's somebody that speaks God's words on God's behalf to God's people. And he's a prophet in exile. His family was stolen away by the Babylonians um, 600 years or more before the birth of Christ. And they were taken from their home, their land that represented all God's promises to them. He'd promised them a land. He'd promised them a city, Jerusalem. He'd given them a king and, and the wealth of being a nation and security. And they had turned their backs on him. They had presumed on what God had given them. He'd loved them so much, but rather than responding to that love with love, they'd responded to that love with presumption, with pride, wearing God's love like a badge that says, I've earned this, rather than as an incredible gift that can never be repaid. And so what happened was that many of God's people were scooped up by the Babylonians as they took over the area, taken off to Babylon, and were exiles in a foreign land. And Ezekiel, from that, um, almost certainly writing from Babylon, um, sees in dreams and in visions and in his own heart God's perspective. He speaks how God feels. And that's the key word for this morning that I'd love us to get hold of. When, when somebody says to you, God loves you, or if you were to describe something of the heart of the Christian faith, that in Jesus God loves us, the problem we have with religion is so often 
that we talk of love as effectively emotionless. It's a passion-free zone. God loves me. That's great. But to imagine that God has feelings towards me, I think we struggle with a bit. We struggle to imagine of God's heart, not just his will. And therefore we end up in the trap of simply thinking of God loving me as something he effectively does with his mind and will. Whereas the Bible talks again and again of how God feels about you. Of how God feels about me. Now the prophets knew this, God knew this, and so what we get in the prophets quite often is some quite shocking, deliberately shocking imagery. The sort of language and poetry you wouldn't expect to find in the Bible that's meant to stir us up and to say to us, do you have the faintest idea of how incredibly fiercely God feels about you? Now, there are two key images, two get to get two key bits of picture language that the Bible uses to try and get across the emotional punch of what God feels about us. They are the images of being a parent and the image of being a lover. Those are the two, parent and lover. Sometimes the lover is somebody who is desiring somebody. Sometimes it's somebody who is already in relationship with somebody. Sometimes it's within a marriage. But there are these two images And the Bible is really quite confident and unashamed at scooping up the emotions that go along with those two love relationships and saying, you know how you feel as a parent or as a husband or a wife? Yeah. Well, take that and imagine how much more God feels. And that's what happens in this vision that Ezekiel has. We're not even going to be able to begin to do it justice. I'm going to try and read quite a bit of it and then just make a couple of comments each time because what I really want you to do is hear the text And then I'm hoping that the couple of sentences I'm able to say on each of these will will provoke you to go back to it. Um, It's on page uh, 841. Page 841. It's very strong. It's slightly shocking in places. It's passionate. It's full of emotion. And what Ezekiel is trying to do for God's people back then, and it's no less true for us now, is to say to God's people, honestly, You live as if you have no idea what God has done for you in the past and how much he loves you now. You live as if God God is somehow almost a neutral observer who doesn't really care. But no, God loves you this much. So what sort of love does God love with? The first thing is that God loves with a love that is fierce with compassion. Ezekiel 16, let me read just a little bit of it. Verse 3. This is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestry and birth were in the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. Just a word there to say that wasn't a compliment. Okay, that was, that was him being very rude um, as far as the Israelites were concerned. These were their enemies. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for on that day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood, and as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. Uh, We were at a 
um, a pre-baptism party last night um, for a child um, for whom I'm being a godfather about an hour ago um, in absentia, sadly. It's one, of the, it's one of the problems of being a vicar. You don't really get to be um, in other churches on a Sunday. Uh, but this lovely little girl called Florence, um, who's uh, born to a couple of great friends of mine. Um, so we went last night to go and celebrate and um, go and see Florence and and we were comparing notes as parents, and both of us had had the experience of having a, a day or two old baby taken back into hospital. And we were comparing notes of how it felt as a parent to watch our baby um, being looked after, struggling for life and health, and being a, feeling like you could do virtually nothing for them. And to say that we felt compassion is to so understated as to be almost laughable. That sense of churning, of, of desperation, of just being pulled and stretched so tight you think you're going to snap. We shared last night. We're both very fortunate because actually both our little girls are lovely and healthy and, and well. But I was thinking about that as I was reading afresh this passage this morning and thinking, actually, there's something of this in what Ezekiel wants us to get. God has compassion on us as you might have compassion to a baby who is utterly helpless, who is utterly at the end, who is without you in mortal danger. Here is a baby who has been despised, thrown out, abandoned, God doesn't love with some sort of hands-off, simply rational, simply intentional love. God loves with that sort of love because he sees, even if we don't feel it, that without him, we are that helpless. We are that in need of him. We may kick about, but we're kicking about in our own blood, he says. It's as if we are an abandoned child. And he doesn't just come along, you know, seasoned professional going, well, you know, we'll see what we can do about this. He feels compassion. He walks along and he says, live. It's the love of a parent for a child. It's the love of a parent for a struggling little baby. That is the sort of love, says Ezekiel, that God's covenant love is for you and for me. Now, we need to know that all the time, but we especially need to hear that when we are at the end of our tether. When we have finally realised that we're out of resources. When we have finally realised that we actually don't have the answers. When we can't organise ourselves. When we can't be on top of everything that life throws at us. And we simply are lying there kicking about. And God looks at us with that sort of compassion. Not a love that goes, oh, all right, then I guess I better help you. Goodness me, a bit pathetic. And I think, I think there are times when we think that is how God looks at us. Like God is that close to running out of patience. Like God is that close to going, oh, for goodness sake, pull yourself together. No, 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 no. This is the God who looks at us like a baby who is utterly unable to help themselves, who is kicking about, and he simply walks towards us and he says, Live picks us up and brings life to us. That's a love of utter, fierce compassion. That's the first thing. Here's the one that we struggle with even more than that. This is a love of desire and of adoration. 
Verse 7. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew up and developed and became the most beautiful of jewels. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew. You were naked and bare. And later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put leather sandals on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewellery. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. And I put a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears, a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was fine flour, honey and olive oil. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty because of the splendor I had given you, made your beauty perfect, declares the Sovereign Lord. I don't know whether... You can remember if it was a long time ago or whether recently you have ever lived with somebody or known somebody or experienced yourself what it is to fall in love. As a student, I remember um, vividly those moments where you realised that somebody had gone completely head over heels for somebody else and they were just simply useless. Uh, You couldn't get a, a, a sensible word out of them. All they wanted to talk about was this person they'd fallen for. Uh, and, and it really affected them, um, to their friends, mostly in a bad way. But from their point of view, they were besotted. They, they adored this person. I'm sure some of you still feel that way um, about your nearest and dearest. There, there is a little bit that sort of wears off after that initial um, thing. I'm, I'm treading on awkward ground here, so we'll just stick with that. Um, but the, the point is this, that actually God loves us that way. There is this besotted quality to God's love for us that we really struggle a bit to get our heads around. But look at the language he uses. He says of his people, you were beautiful. I desired you. And this thing about spreading the corner of my cloth over you is the language that was used in those days. You find it in the book of Ruth as well for proposing marriage. So he basically sees her, she's beautiful, he proposes marriage, and in marrying her, gives her all that she needs for her beauty to be made perfect. That's the sort of picture language of it. There's way more that we could say about that. I'm watching this clock down here thinking, oh my goodness. Here's the thing. God's love for us is not simply a commitment to us. It is an adoration of us. He thinks we're beautiful. We are desirable. He loves us like that. Why? I've no idea. But he does. Knowing the worst about us as well as the best of us, that's the way he loves us. He loves us with compassion, like we're a baby, just lying in our our own blood. He, He loves us like a lover, with just that desire and adoration. But he also loves us jealously. This is where the really tricky language comes in. And actually, our English translations do a glorious job of euphem- euphemizing what in the Hebrew I probably wouldn't be allowed to read in church. 
Because what Ezekiel does at this point is then to say, do you know, the way that we behave towards God is as offensively and embarrassingly lewd, as it were, as somebody who effectively prostitutes themselves, runs after other partners in a way that we would find, yes, heartbreaking and awful, but almost so brazen as to be embarrassing. Now, if you feel awkward with that language in church, we're meant to. We're meant to feel this is not the language we should think of as God. But the language I'm about to read is the language to do with God being the one whose partner, whose husband, whose wife has in public and with more and more determination run after other people without a trace of embarrassment, without a trace of privacy, without a trace of secrecy, simply gone after others. There's lots that I could read, but let me read you from verse 30 um, on page 842. How weak-willed you are, declares the Sovereign Lord, when you do all these things, acting like a brazen prostitute. When you build your mounds at the head of every street and made your lofty shrines in every public square, you were unlike a prostitute because you scorned payment. You adulterous wife, you prefer strangers to your own husband. Every prostitute receives a fee, but you give gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to to come to you. God is saying, look, you're even worse. You don't even accept payment. You pay others. This is a language about God's people running after other gods, running after other people that they can worship, running after other ways of life, despite the fact that the God who loves them has given them everything they could ever need. And they run after other things. Pride, ambition, success. And God says, do you know what that makes me feel? Not do you know that's wrong? It's really interesting. He says, not do you know that's wrong, but do you know how that makes me feel? It makes me feel like the jilted husband, the jilted wife, the heartbroken lover, the the one who is jealous because you've gone after others. When I turn my back on God, it's not simply that he gets cross. It is that he is fiercely jealous for me because I'm his, because he loves me, because he's given me everything. But here's the good news. Because this is a love that is not just compassionate for us when we're helpless, not just desirous of us in our beauty, heaven knows why, and not just fiercely jealous for us because we turn our backs on him. Here is a love that is infinitely forgiving. Because after a chapter of laying out, and I've missed most of it out, to be honest, you should read it, After a chapter of laying out the terrible things that God's people do and they're turning their backs on him and, and as I say, glossing over some Hebrew non-euphemistic language about sexual practice, the last couple of verses are these. Right at the end of Ezekiel 16, page 844. So, verse 62, I will establish my covenant with you and you will know that I am the Lord. When I make atonement for you for all that you have done, you will remember and be ashamed and never again open your mouth because of your humiliation, declares the sovereign Lord. You will break my covenant, says God, and I will remake my covenant with you again and again and again and again because I will forgive you, because I will love you, because I will come after you with a never-breaking, never-ending, fierce love. You cannot run so far from me that I give up. 
You cannot turn your back so thoroughly on me that I turn away from you. You cannot be so offensive towards me in your behaviour that I go, that's it, I've had enough. He simply comes after me because that's the way he loves. Don't ever let anybody give you the impression that God is some impassive force somewhere in the universe that does stuff. This is a God of love who loves with a heart that is not just a little bit emotional like us but that contains such a well of emotion that is towards us you are well loved I am well loved with compassion with desire with jealousy and with forgiveness and all of those loves you find summed up in the person of Jesus you could do an entire study in the life of Jesus simply working your way through the gospels and looking for those four types of love that Jesus expresses the way that he has compassion on people, the way that he shows God's adoration and love for people, the way that he's jealous for God's people to worship God and the way that in his life and death and resurrection he not just expresses but makes possible God's forgiving love for us. May you and I know more each day of the never-ending, never-giving-up, unbreakable fierce love of God for us that we know in Jesus and that even before Jesus Ezekiel glimpsed in this vision of the baby who became the beautiful bride after whom God would run all of his life let's pray loving heavenly father thank you for this incredible poetry and picture thank you for that passionate love in your heart Thank you that you are determined to come after us with an unbreakable love. And we pray only this, that you would help us to love you back with a little bit of how you love us. In Jesus' name. Amen.